You are listening to Analyze Asia with Bernard Leung, the podcast dedicated to interview thought leaders and industry players to understand and dissect the pulse of technology, media, and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by Ideal Workspace, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. You can visit their website, idealworkspace.com. Hi, Christine. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm well. So how are things with you? Things are going great, actually. I just started a new job um, as the community, oh, not the community manager, as the country manager for Elance Odesk in Singapore. So I'm super excited. I have a lot of travel on my plate. I'm going up to KL for the launch of the Magic Startup Academy. I'm heading to Norway. So life looks good these days. I'm actually a user of Elance, though. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Are you going to share how you use it, or is this proprietary knowledge? No, it's not. Uh, (laughs) Basically, I use Elance to help to transcribe this podcast for Mm -hmm. some of our listeners who don't want to listen, basically, so that they can also learn a lot more about Asia as well. And and how was your experience using the platform? My experience has been very good. And actually, I was in the midst of even have some basic tutorials to help me to select the right person for the job uh-huh. and Good. I basically followed through with the instructions and also I read a couple of um, tips from people in Quora who gave <sighs> me some tips about how to... You're such an academic the way you approach something. When I first use it, I was like, I put my job description there to hire someone. I use it for my list. So I use it for someone to help me aggregate all these events and... Um, I just asked one simple question and the person that answered that question to the, in the way that resonated with me the most was the person I hired. I didn't even look into how should I do this, but I think you're much smarter to do it that way because there is a, there is a technique to it. Yes, and actually the, there, is this, there are a couple of uh, pointers as well where how you pick the person, the, the mm. freelancer typically. Absolutely. Typically, they have done. They have certain ratings that they have really yes. got, and then sometimes they might have a. Com- they are under a company, so yes. it is actually you can look at the quality of their password, which is something yeah. I really like. And you know what? If you're looking for a Python guy, there's people who have passed these Python tests or PHP tests, or you can actually see their ranking, how well they do on these tests, and you can hire based on how experienced someone is. So it does give you a lot of insight into who you're bringing on board for a project. Christine, so you'll be starting this new gig in Odessa Elance and you're at the start of it. But yes. the, re- the reason why I got you here is that you have much <laughs> more interesting stories to tell. You <laughs> do a lot you. in community organizing. Thank you. you came from San Francisco yeah. all the way. And mm-hmm. I think you have run a couple of initiatives that I thought are very interesting. Like, I think it started off from something called Urban Hikers, right? Oh, well, that's, you know what, all that was was my efforts when I was traveling to maintain a presence online and to connect with my friends and family back home. But I was, I definitely learned my lesson when I moved to San Francisco that you need to have a trail online so people, when you're looking for your next job, know who you are and know your history and know that that um, they can trust you even if they don't know you. So especially when you're expanding into a different network or you're expanding into a different market. Like when we moved to Singapore, I was looking for a job and I didn't know anyone here. And so actually Urban Hikers proved to be really 
a successful way for me to say like, look, I took a year off from my time in San Francisco. You can track all of my adventures here. You can see I did social media outreach. I had a blog post every like three days and I did really interesting things too. And I met a lot of really interesting people. So I think it was a way for me just to maintain my ties while traveling to the world that I wanted to go back to. And your experience have always been in community organizing. Maybe you can tell our audience what have you been doing pre-Urban Hikers? Oh, sure. So Urban Hikers was really, is just a blog. It's just a story that I told for a year about traveling through Asia as someone who had never been to Asia and had no idea what to expect. So it's not very polished. But before that, I was actually running community marketing and it was kind of called community evangelism at the time, but it encapsulated, I wrote the website, I did email marketing, I reached out to people on Twitter and Facebook, I even handled support concerns. So it was this over-encompassing community marketing um, for a company called PBWiki, and that was, we called it an online hosted solution, but really what it began with was a wiki, which is um, a website that anyone can edit. So that was a really exciting place to be. I joined them in 2006. And Web 2.0 was just catching on. Twitter wasn't even around yet, or if it was, it was in its infancy. No one knew about it. Facebook was just taking over MySpace. So it was a really exciting time to be uh, in this Web 2.0 environment. And I worked there until 2010. Yeah, 2006, 2010. But before that, I didn't do community as much, but I did a lot of communications. And I worked for a man named Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who took a lead role in the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa and is a tremendous human being. We had a website, but we didn't even send emails. So I wrote a lot of um, I wrote a lot of brochures and I wrote a lot of physical letters that we would send through snail mail, hoping for donations for a peace center in South Africa. So that wasn't so much community building. Um, and the nonprofit world is a bit slower to accept or to embrace, like business. I, business strategies, I guess I want to say. So when I moved to San Francisco, it was a real shock to start working for a startup and be told like, hey, we have a user base of a million people. Email them right now. And I was like, oh my God, but it, I, you don't want to read? Like, does it pass the board? Don't we need to send this out in a... Don't, it, it, isn't there a letter we need to be sending out? And to work for a startup where the environment is like, no, reach these people, get a message across, make sure they know what's going on with our product and our platform and we're going to track your open rates and your click-through rates. Like that was intense for me and I realized I loved it. What's actually looping it back to Elance Odesk is what's really great is I get to marry those two ideas because Elance Odesk has freelancers all across the world. We're talking Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, the Philippines, Indonesia. It really is a, a, a way for people in the developing world to, to make an, an income, to, to earn a living. And so I'm marrying this idea of, you know, reaching out in a nonprofit way and helping the world with my love of startups. So I'm really excited. Well, you have done much more than that. I'm a <laughs> fan of your the list. Oh, That's I think something what? like the the weekly events, right? So yes. maybe to help the audience, most of us in Singapore we need to get in touch with the tech events that's ongoing. I think <laughs> there's a lot more events now. 
then you initially started. How, yeah. how, how do you get you started? Maybe you tell the story, then I will be able to sort of reinforce what is actually going on then. Yeah, sure. So I moved to Singapore. So just really quickly, I'm, I worked for Desmond Tutu, then I moved to San Francisco. I worked for PBWiki. We took a year off. I quit my job. My husband sold his company, and we spent every last cent we had uh, backpacking around Asia. And when we came through Singapore, my husband, Vinny, was like, Singapore is the future of technology in Asia. And I was like, no, we're not even done backpacking. And he was ready to move to Singapore. And so when we moved here, we didn't have jobs and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be a consultant. So to do that, I felt like I needed to attend events. I wanted to develop a reputation in the region, specifically in the startup community in Singapore. And I didn't see a really easy way to see what everything was going on in the scene. It felt a bit siloed in Singapore. And I don't know how you feel about this, Bernard, because you were raised here. But I felt when I came here, everyone knew each other already and had formed kind of groups and weren't interested in any overlap between those groups. So there was the NUS overseas college guys or and girls. There were people that were interested in, again, I'll use Python. There were people that are interested in JS. There were people who were attending like Neo events, but I didn't see a ton of churn between these groups. And I was like, oh, it's very, it felt very much like I was crashing a party if I showed up. And I was like, that sucks. I want everyone to be invited. The tech scene in San Francisco is very open and inviting and anyone can join. And I wanted to kind of further that idea. Additionally, my husband is, he began a VC company. And the idea is there has to be an ecosystem, a a really vibrant tech ecosystem, which encourages cooperation and sharing between companies for any startup to be successful. And so I was then motivated to create this, just a simple email every week that basically listed out all these events that I figured out were going on and make sure that everyone was invited to them. And it started, yeah, I don't even remember how many events it started with, but the tech scene has exploded in the last three years. And I think you can attest to that, Bernard. I think something, so it, when you first started off, it was something like four or five events. Um, I, I was just God. looking at the list. Oh, were you? And then something around more than, I think, 20 to 30 events now. Well, I think a few things. Number one, the tech scene has really grown in Singapore, and that's exciting. Number two, I think the ways that people are reaching out to their community and reaching out to each other has also changed. Like you see a lot of networking events where people are just going out to drinks these days or people are getting together to um, to talk about their failures. And you don't, you didn't see that four years ago, three years ago, you saw it really focused around like, okay, we're learning, we're learning something here and it's focused on one topic and it's really a niche, um, a niche event. And these days you see much more general, broader, more open events. And I think that's because the way people are engaging each other has changed here. I really do feel like this is going to sound silly, this is going to sound really stupid, actually, but the Lean Startup Machine came to Singapore like three years ago or two years ago, and I'm sure you remember the guys, especially Ray and Nathan, that ran it, but they really entrenched the idea of get out of the building, go talk to people, and I think since that series of events happened, and oh my God, it really irritated me because then every week there was like a lean event and lean started machine this. It was drove me nuts that it was such a fad. But I actually think it did a really good thing for the Singapore ecosystem. It got people to engage outside of their comfort zone. 
But does it no, go ahead. like when you have something like a Block 71? So I don't know. Do you think that most of the events are at Block 71? And like in your honest opinion, do you think that Block 71 is the place for startups? I think it's a 50-50. I think there's a lot of startup clusters because there's another initiative that you do, which is the perfect segue for this, was Walkabout, <laughs> basically. Okay. So I find that Walkabout helps me to have that bigger landscape. So I, I know that a lot of people who looked at the Singapore entrepreneurial ecosystem mm -hmm. will think about Block 71, which is just two, three buildings, you know. Most of the startups, most of the VCs are there now. But I think generically speaking, there are other pockets of area. Even where you are staying, which is actually my childhood. I grew up there in childhood. <laughs> and I got to tell you about that. Wait, are you, you talking about Tiang Baru? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I That's love Tiang Baru. There is a lot of um, architects and mm -hmm. it has become a very different place when yeah. I was born. And the picture where you uh, took your baby recently walking along yes. the stretch. Do you know Do you that have there a is picture a, there? Yeah, I have a similar picture. Oh my that. god, I would love to see that. Yes, I was I was trying to go back to my parents' place to try to dig it up. So there are different pockets like Tiongbaru sure. around the entire ecosystem. True, I think Walkabout actually helped. Okay, so just really quickly, because I don't think Walkabout is like that well-known. Walkabout is an open house for the startup community in Singapore. So it's basically every... I contacted as many startups as I could find, and I basically said, on this one day during the year, I'd like you to open your office, and we're going to have just people stop in your office. And the first year I did it, 33 companies participated, and the feedback from the companies when I was trying to push this idea through was kind of like, well, what are they going to do at our office? What should we do with them? Are they going to steal our code? What if they like find out all about our product? And I was like, oh my God, what are people thinking? Like, You should be excited to engage with an external community. You should be excited to get people knowledgeable and excited about your product. Like, You should be shouting this from the rooftops. But that was not the initial reaction of startups here. So the 33 startups that participated the first year were awesome and were very, um, were very generous letting people into their office. And then the second year it grew, and then this was the third year. And there's already talks about what the fourth year is going to be. So it started with 33 companies. This year it was over 100 companies, and agencies wanted to get involved. It started, I think we had 450 people at the first event. Now there was over 2,000 people who signed up for this event. So it, it got really interesting and really exciting. But back to Block 71, I think Block 71 is an interesting cauldron of companies that are working on products and doing really well. And some companies who are subsidized by the government have really inexpensive digs and are able to maintain a kind of crappy product for a long time. So I'm not going to name names because I think that's an awful thing to do. No, but I, I think Block 71, yeah. I think Block 71 is a mixed bag, to be honest. I think that there was one, there's a big issue that recently we talked about in the recent tech venture that there are a couple of what we call zombie companies that, like what you're saying, crap products, they're still trying to live itself and probably the founders have just closed it. I will not name names too, <laughs> but I think that situation has to happen. But I think it's beginning to happen more now. Yeah. So I get a lot yeah, and, more and the requests Singapore, on that. The Singapore funding situation has changed, which I then think will impact the level of companies that are at Block 71. How, how, how much change? What, what kind of change have you seen in the past few years? I mean, I, I, I like the fact that... There's a reason why I wanted you to be here because you organized 
helped us to organize the community. We walk uh, about and the list. Uh-huh. And you see the ecosystem not grow in terms of how many startups, how many VC funding we have, but mm-hmm. how the people, right? How do we oh, evolve? Um, what's the cultural evolution of that? What, what do you see have, that has changed? Oh, so that? I'm going to talk really generally here. Mm. But I think if you look, let's just start with investors. If you look at the investors who received the first tranche of government funds and how that funding was given out and what startups were chosen and um, and that whole process through iGEM, you look at that and you and you compare it to what's going on right now where the government has really successfully identified a very select number of VCs and has been much more strategic who they're funneling that money to startups through, I think there's a big difference. I think initially a lot of startups got a bunch of money and weren't necessarily both sure how to use that money, didn't have much mentorship, and number two, perhaps didn't have a product in place that warranted that much money. Now I think there's a bit of smart investors on the ground and just as like a to be perfectly honest and transparent, my husband is one of them. I think he's a smart investor. But I think the people that are that are identifying successful startups, early stage startups these days, are much more qualified than they were seven, seven years ago, basically. And what I think you've seen, and again, bringing this back to Block 71, are kind of those reminiscent companies that still have money but no product and haven't launched. And you're like, what are they sitting on? Those companies are slowly filtering out, and Block 71 is becoming a stronger place to be. Like I can attest to that. I know Vini has funded two interesting startups. One of them is Redmart. I think mm-hmm. they recently yeah. received something around 23 to $25 million from SoftBank. Yeah. And then there's the other one, which is called Nitrous IO, which moved to Silicon Valley yeah. and got funding from Bezimov. Yeah, Ventures. and you know what? Here, I can actually speak. Carousel is one of, uh, one of my favorite ones favorite of his investments and that is kind of like a mobile marketplace for your goods like a mobile craigslist or a mobile ebay and it's totally addictive and they're based at block 71 and they're growing really successfully um referral candy is not one of his investments but that's at block 71 and they're a really interesting company like there are companies that have money and guidance and a really smart staff and they're moving forward um there are companies that aren't doing so well and and they're slowly leaving block 71 so i think block 71 is becoming a stronger place and you look at jfdi and they have their friday night happy hours and i think there is the idea that there should be a community there i don't know if anyone's hit on what that community should look like yet i i'm still waiting for like an amazing an amazing event that's not my event to take place there to be honest because it's such an interesting place. There's so many cool companies there. I just don't think it's found its um, its uh, its place of outreach. It's also far away. So I think once companies gain a bit of success within their market, they actually leave Block 71. You look at Trade Gecko. They're on their third office now. They they left pretty quickly. I think no one, I don't know, this is my assumption as someone who loves to be in the middle of the city, that once you kind of get on your feet, you have your funding, you have your product, you have a bit of revenue stream, you tend to move on from subsidized, from a subsidized um, office environment. I, I don't know. What do you that. think about this? I agree with you on that. I think typically if I see a startup in blocks anyone that lasts more than two years, mm-hmm. I think that they need to seriously consider what they are doing. Yeah. <laughs> Because All right, I, so I, I, I actually feel very judgmental during this. I didn't think we would be so judgy. 
So that that's not to say that there are terrible startups that have been there for over two years. You look at Smart Loans, Vinod Nair, he's been there for over two years but and his startup is doing great. Business, right? Yes. So it's a yes. different, different, different call. I think it, it has to be, I think it's different for different startups, even though we kind of generalize it. But I think for most startups, they should just use this subsidized place for a while and then they build their own places which is why i think walkabout that you did was really good because oh thank you they, they moved to places like uh, juchet which is a whole area of yeah some of the stuff yeah i uh, think that's such an interesting startup Correct. hub because that is brand new this year yeah. that was that did not absolutely did not exist i mean maybe maybe smitty from spool was out there but that did not exist the first year, it wasn't on my radar the second year. And suddenly this year, Darius had had uh, 13.co. The co-founder is out there. Spool is out there. Um, is it called Be My Guest? Clements? Clements? Right. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting startups out there. Yeah. And I'm thinking this could not be in a further different direction from Block 71. Correct. And I think this so, is like the other side of the island. Yeah. Well. And then there is the other region, I think, is in the Tanjong Baga area where yeah. Vicky used to be. Vicky Samato. Yes. Um, what is Christian Christian Use. startup called? Use is out there. Yes. But you know what? That was popular my first year, and that is actually decreasing in popularity now. And what's increasing in popularity is a moist street. Right. So yes, I, a moist street is interesting. It's, yeah. it's actually the difference between the real estate. I think is the difference of two x. Oh really? I don't know whether you know about that? No, I have. Uh, one of the startups I used to work for, if you cross the street, is actually eight dollars per square foot. Mm -hmm. But just on the Amoy Street side, it's four dollars per square foot. I'm talking about real estate prices a few years ago. Oh I'm my sure gosh! So Amoy, so Amoy Street is less expensive than Tanjong Pagar. Yes. Wow, that is so interesting because to me, it's a like a more hip area, and the downtown line just expanded there. So. Maybe so, that will change. So maybe, 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 maybe because of that, I thought you can tell us a little bit about that cultural shift. That yeah, well, that's a that's. I'll just in general neighborhoods. I I detailed it for you. We've seen people move from Tanjung Pagar over to Amoy Street and Talakayer. You know, the red light district. Juchat is now a very interesting startup hub. In addition to being a red light district. Um, and Block 71 is a standby. The government has poured money in there. It's great. It's great to get startups off the ground. It would be nice if it had a firmer community that like brought people in and really engaged people. But I guess that's not what people. That's not what startups are asking for, um, or they or they would do it themselves. Do you think that also because Walkabout SG is almost once a year? I think it's usually in June, right? Yeah, we try and do it around. Um, around May or June, just in terms of weather. I don't know. We've been lucky. It's never rained. Yes. I, I, my former startup, SGE, which mm -hmm. is now acquired by Tech in Asia, I think we hosted the massage oh, you had after the, the end of the day. Party. Right. You had a great party. There were foot massages, Ace-sponsored pizza and foot massages by blind masseuses on your roof. And I think the roof... We were in worried that it was going to cave in. There were so many people up there. No, we managed to get everybody there. And the masseuse, actually, we are doing it for corporate social responsibility. It was so great. I think everybody was happy. Everyone had a great time. And I like seeing things like that. I like seeing a community be, being brought together with no sales pitch and with no, you know, no one there trying to 
sell you on either their company or their product, just coming together to like meet each other in a very casual environment. I think that's what builds friendships and that's what builds partnerships at startups. I, you, you know, I'm looking to hire someone for Elance Odesk and I'm looking inside my internal network and I'm looking at people that I've met casually, not people who have come up to me in a conference and given me their business card. You know, that's not how you form a relationship. I don't think the business card is the best way to find out, is this person going to be a, a, a good partner in my, in my next venture? That's but right. on the other hand, getting together for drinks on the top of a roof and having pizza and a beer together, you're able to get to know someone on a casual level and, and it can grow from there. And typically it ends with a big party too. Yeah, I was walkabout always, always. I don't believe there should be an event without an after party. And I think the after party should have free flow beer. And I think it should be open to anyone that wants to join. I have a very broad idea of what, you know, the startup community in Singapore should look like. Just in case everybody is thinking that we're just talking about startups, I think this year you have big companies involved like Facebook, uh, right? And yeah. Twitter. Yes. Okay. So sorry. I shouldn't just say startups. I should say like techno the technology scene. I personally like startups because they're young and vivacious and motivated. But of course, I mean the entire technology scene. So AWS has always been a supporter. Microsoft always been a supporter. This year, Facebook joined in, and Twitter was Twitter was awesome. Facebook was a bit harder, uh, tougher not to crack. You know, they're a little more sensitive who they who they want and how many people they want in the door. Uh, Google has yet to join, and I'm, I have no idea how to get through to Google. And Yahoo isn't really interested in, in reaching out to a community in Singapore right now. Which is a bit sad because I think years before you come to Asia, they are actually much more friendlier. Yeah, well, Smitty was there. Yeah, yeah Smitty was, was there. there. Isaac, they, they tend to open doors. I think we hosted bar camps there. In, oh, really? In Yahoo, yeah. Well, I, as part of Elance Odesk, part of my job responsibility is to sponsor, is to promote that kind of engagement with a broader community. So I'm really excited that now I don't have to go around asking for money to throw awesome events. I can, I have the money to throw them myself. So I'm really, really excited. And yeah, I, I'm already like planning out in my mind my first, my first big event. So I know that Singapore is not the only place you operate. So you have scaled this across the region with Vinny, I think, because Vinny invests in a lot of companies around the yeah. region too, right? Well, let me be yeah. really honest. Like, my husband lives and breathes startups. That's right. And so I do not live and breathe startups, but I clearly it's in the air around me all the time. No, you talk to them quite a lot. I think all you the have time. them to grow, yeah. uh, figure out their kind of community engagement, how to organize customers and marketing. Yeah. So when he's going to Thailand and he has an event, like say it's just an echelon satellite event or he's meeting the people at Hubba or whatever, I'm like, you know what? I, I like that environment. I like meeting these people and I like seeing how I can participate. I clearly am not have no interest in investment and funding, and I don't want to see your fundamentals. But I do like to encourage people to reach out to their customers and to grow their user base. And anytime a company wants to talk about that from a community perspective, I'm really open to talking about that. And now these days, I guess I'll be open to talking about how can you use freelancers um, to expand your expand your team in a really scalable in a scalable and cost-effective way and preserve some of that runway, you know. So 
Um, anytime a startup wants to talk about that, I'm, I'm happy to, but it wasn't through any like broad strategy of my own that I have a community throughout Southeast Asia. It was because I'm interested in meeting with people and hearing what they're working on. And if there's some synergy or we can chat or I can help at all, I'm, I'd love to do it. But how's the community look like? I mean, you came from the US. I mean, mm -hmm. Silicon Valley is when even I was there for about 14 days, I could feel that there is people who can help me. Yeah. Um, it's very open. It's yeah. really engaging. I, I'm sure there's a, for myself to tell you from this part of the world, I like, know it doesn't operate like what Silicon Valley does. But what do you find the major cultural differences? You know what? Are? So I would say when I came initially, I was kind of shocked to see how proprietary people were with their, their information, even just in terms of... Um, even just in, not even their information, let me like rewind. I was shocked to hear that people didn't have like email campaigns going out on a monthly or quarterly basis. I was surprised that people didn't want to engage their users online because sometimes they were scared what their users would say. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, like, this, is, this is against everything I, I know about online marketing or community marketing from my last job. And not only that, the fact that you don't want to share externally with another startup, with another founder, with someone who's in the same industry as you, I just, I was really surprised, really surprised and kind of taken aback by that. I do think that's changing out here. Um, I do think concepts like failure have been started to be talked about quite a bit. Like we threw a fail con. Isaac had a, had a talk on failure. Angela from Strikingly is interested in throwing another fail con. So I think kind of the concepts that hold people back are being discussed, like the concept of failure, and that's, that's, uh, that's a topic of conversation these days. I think with these casual meetups that you see popping around everywhere and the networking nights and dinners, you see people who are much more open to talking about their product and what they've learned. And I, see, I think the marketing perspective has changed a lot. I met with the guys at Purple ages ago, and what they wanted to know was not um, how do I start a marketing campaign, but how do I grow this campaign and what are the results I should be looking for? We started it and I want to I figure out if we're doing it right. So I think, um, yeah, that's, that's I, don't, I don't actually remember what your question was, but that's my long-winded answer. I, I think it's, it's, the, it's the cultural difference, but I think you, you uh, highlighted the several cultural differences, like how people are more proprietary about the information. Yeah, but I do have. think that's changing, Bernard. I really want to say... Um, I think, I'll, I will just say this, I see an overwhelming emphasis on what Silicon Valley is doing in Singapore, and there always seems to be a bit of an inferiority complex, like, oh, in Silicon Valley, they have this much funding, or this many users, or their market is so much bigger, and they have more opportunities than we do, and I'm really sick of hearing that, because I'm not suggesting we have the same market, or the same users, or the same um, engagement in, in Asia, or specifically Singapore, but that shouldn't hold you back. You should never be comparing yourself because you're failing, but I think use it as an inspiration, or possibly, you know, this is what I should be looking for looking at, th these are business practices that I should look at adopting for, for a market of my size. Rather than saying, oh, my market's so small and people are slow to adopt. Um, so, How does it transpire? Say if you're in Malaysia, I think you travel to Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, and like yeah. Indonesia. How do you find the communities? Do you find that they're different or is it actually Oh my God, the they're so different. And I really am not the... I mean, I do travel to these communities. I think they're entirely different. 
technology landscapes. You know, KL right now they're launching that that magic, the magic startup academy launch. That's right. Which is similar, I believe. I don't quote me on this, but I believe it's really similar to what the Singapore government is doing um, through through their Singtel Innovate. I believe, but I don't really know for sure. I think they're going to be investing and providing mentorship for startups. Yes. I know so, the guy who's involved in it, Daniel. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. Daniel, yeah, of course. He's, but he's I don't a connector actually, there. I don't know the direct comparison with the with what the Singapore organization, which organization it would be in Singapore. I just know that they're looking at the Singapore scene and they're saying, how can the government in KL replicate what is being done successfully in Singapore? So I look at KL and I'm like, okay, there are some, there are companies coming out of KL and they definitely need mentorship and training and advice. So I think the scene there is really nascent. It's beginning, it's far, it's in its infancy, even especially compared to Singapore, which has now had, you know, I would say two generations, one generation, like the Darius Chung generation of success. And now we have the Zopium generation of success who kind of looked at Darius and was like, okay, I've, I've, I learned a little bit. At least that's how I see it. There's been one generation and now a second generation of people that are impacting the scene and creating viable, successful startups. Um, I think KL is just beginning and it will take some time. I think in Indonesia, there is there are crazy hungry in Indonesia. And I don't think an outsider like myself, I only go there like once or twice a year, is able to even tap the excitement that's going on in Indonesia. And I almost wish that we were based in Jakarta simply because of so many things are going on and I have no understanding of what the needs are in that market or why these companies are being created. Vidi invested in a baby e-commerce diaper and milk company in called Bilna in Indonesia. And we keep dying to go back and see what other really interesting companies are coming out of that region. But unfortunately, we're insanely busy. I think the Philippines, you look at Christian, what's his last name? He's doing Kickstart PH. He's amazing. Um, and he's trying to build a startup ecosystem in, in the Philippines. And I think he's dealing with a t- an entirely different startup ecosystem than the one that is in KL. So I think regionally it's so diverse. And that's what makes it so interesting. And that's what, make pe- that's what makes people on the ground here such fascinating people to meet and talk with. And that's what I really like to do. You talk about Thailand. How about, what about Thailand? Then? You know what? When I first went to Thailand, so... Keep in mind, I was backpacking with my husband, and my husband could not escape the technology scene. Like, he courted it. Every city we went into, he wanted to know where the co-working spaces were, who, what interesting startups were there. And I was like, we are taking a year off. This is, us. This is a year off, Vincent. We're not meant to be working. But he didn't listen to me. So in Thailand, in our first year, which I think was 2010 or maybe the beginning of 2011, we met with this guy, Luke Hubbard, who was awesome, but he was very, and he gave us a lot of advice on the technology scene in in Thailand, and he said, it's very bifurcated between locals and foreigners, and I was like, oh, that's a shame, and actually, the groups that we were hanging out with within the technology scene in Thailand were mostly foreigners, right? They were people, expats who had set up a company and who were really flying under the radar so that the Thai government didn't notice them and 
and interfere or tax them somehow. And then last year or two years ago, Hubba started. There's co-working spaces. Again, these these diverse communities are coming together under one roof and conversations are happening. I'm not incredibly familiar with the Thai ecosystem, but even in the past three years, I've seen a change from that bifurcated, there's us and then there's them environment to one co-working space, two co-working spaces where people are working together and exchanging information and meeting up. But I am not, you know, I could be absolutely wrong. I'm not an expert in the Thai ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I just can tell you very, you know, you qualitative, qualitative right. information. Agree, agree. But, but say from your microscope, just from your mm-hmm. microscope to look at it, say, for example, Indonesia, Philippines, and Thailand, where they have a specific language, right? I mean, mm-hmm. in Indonesia, people talk about Bahasa, right? Mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Philippines, people use Tagalog, and if Thai, they speak Thai. Mm-hmm. Do you find that those also factored in how the ecosystems operate as well? Well, I have to be really honest. Like, I studied French in high school and college. I lived in France. I do not speak Bahasa. I don't speak Thai. I don't speak speak, uh, any any language that would do me any good in Asia. Mm. Um, And so every time I'm going to these countries, people are... They're both presenting in English. The conferences are in English. And if they... And they're pitching. They're, so unfortunately, this is the bad part about being married to a VC, is that I'm pitched constantly. And people don't seem to understand that I am not doing any investment, but I am pitched in English. So I think, and I could be wrong, again, this could be an American perspective, but I think the language of the internet is English. I think that. I could be wrong. Yeah. It's ubiquitous, I, I think. Most Southeast Asia countries use English as, the, as, the, as a business language. Mm-hmm. But what, what, I thought that, what I thought would be interesting to sort of hear, like, if, if the, the other language, the, the actual local language, will also have a certain impact to how the culture of the ecosystem would go. I mean, in anthropology, people looked at these things, yeah. right? Like, like social practices and as well. I don't, I don't know how much the language influences the culture. I really don't. But I can say on a very broad, stereotypical level, and I really hated this about Asia when I came here, how easily people were able to generalize based on race or religion or nationality. But I've come to realize in, excuse me, in Manila, in the Philippines, people are incredibly social. There's an incredible, incredible amount of, of mobile social adoption in, in the Philippines. In Indonesia, there is a real, I don't know, it might be in the blood, this is terrible to say, there are amazing designers, graphic designers, illustrators that are coming out of Indonesia. So I don't know how much it is, of it is language, and I don't know how much the culture impacts um, where people find their niche professionally online or where, or how the culture impacts the companies that are coming out of those particular countries. But you can see trends within, within each country. And okay, uh, this is going to sound equally horrible, but as um, an Elance Odesk, when I was hiring, so I used the platform as well as now work for the platform, but when I was hiring someone to do my logo and graphic design, I looked in... Indonesia, and I look specifically in Indonesia because I thought people there are really talented. Um, now I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I don't have the data to back that information up. But just in broad generalizations, after having traveled and met with people and to see where their skill sets really strong, that's what I have to say about those two two countries. 
So I was I was reading this book by Henry Kissinger, his new book called World Order, and I think mm-hmm. it was a kind of a first time that some um I think for someone like himself to sort of start thing to create this new paradigm of thinking about Asia, mm-hmm. and his comment is Asia is artificial construct. Oh, absolutely. You should just you should just forget about that word called Asia. Uh-huh. And specifically, look at the China, China as Chinese, India as Indian, Southeast Asia. You know, you have all these six different countries: Thai, uh-huh. Indonesia, and see them as it is. That you're dealing with this whole multitude uh, of I, cultures. You know, I don't think I understood that until I landed in Korea for my first time. The first place I ever stepped foot on the ground in Asia was Korea. And I was like, oh, so this is Asia. And then I went to China and I was like, oh my God, this could not be more different than Korea. And then I went to, where did I go next? Indonesia. And I was like, this couldn't be more different than Korea, than China, than Taiwan. Now Indonesia, what is this? And I, I think, you know, the United States North North America is both a continent and only two countries. And those countries are very similar in terms of culture and language. Um, the same cannot be said about Asia at all. So you think it's an artificial construct? I think it's a continent. And that's that's it. <laughs> continent with more countries. <laughs> no, I think that is... is so what, what... I mean, you have helped not just from the Silicon Valley side, but you helped to build up, at least contributed to the kind of community building in Singapore, I, which I, that's where I know you, but I'm, I'm sure you, a lot of your energy bubbles out to the rest of Southeast Asia. No, what gives you this impression? No, because you're always traveling. So I read, a, I, 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 whenever I see you, you're always telling me interesting stories about oh. where every, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, but you know, but I you think that that's how culture is. And I think, you know, every other podcast will be talking about what are the mobile trends, what are the, uh-huh. you know, all these very technical things, like <laughs> which VC investment is interesting. And I thought having you here telling uh-huh. us about what culture is about in oh this part God. of the world is far more interesting too. Because well, thank you. I hope that I haven't offended anyone. No, no, no. I, th- I think that we are, we are also bringing up certain nuances, right? And certain nuances we generalize too. I mean, we are, we are, we're conscious about it, but at least we are conscious about it and say, hey, you know, this may not be what it looks like. But from your view, building a community, what, what, what do you see like the best, what, what you call like best practices? What, what, uh, is it more okay. transparent? Is it, you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think there are a few things. There are a few things that to me are the backbone of building a community. So I think whatever outreach you're doing, if you're having events, if you're sending an email once a week or once a month, I think you have to be really consistent. I think you can't just say, all right, I want to do this amazing thing and expect people to A, know who you are and B, show up because you said it was going to be amazing. I think you need to grow a reputation and you need to be consistent with your outreach and you need to frame authentically frame what you're looking to do. So for me personally, I am only looking to support a local ecosystem. I don't want to sell you anything. I don't want to talk to you about a programming language. I don't, you know, I don't have an overt objective other than to bring people together. And I think that to me is really important. So I think, yeah, transparency and telling people upfront 
what you're looking to do and be being really consistent with your outreach, with your messaging, with the channels that you're reaching people. If you're always sending someone an email and then you send a Facebook message, a Facebook invitation, you can't expect them to say, oh, this is both the same person and the same type of an event. Um, I think consistency is number one, transparency, predictability. So again, this ties back into like what kind of, of not, not that your events have to be always the same, but people, people like to, to form an opinion and they want to know who you are personally. So I think being a predictable person in, in the ecosystem, attending events, sponsoring events, um, is, is essential. People want to know you as a person as well. So I think to grow a community, you have to be part of the community. You have to be empathetic and passionate about what the, what people are going through. When I see a founder these days, I'm not like, tell me about your product. How's it going? My question for them is how are you like, is your company stressing you out? Are you at a high because you just had a new product release? Like, how are you feeling? Um, and I think that, that to me is how I feel about a community. I want to know what are people looking for and how can I help them? Um, and so I think being empathetic and passionate about what people in your community are doing is really key. So empathetic, passionate, consistent, and, um, what was I saying? Predictable. Those are my ideas when I'm growing a community. So we're going to hear a lot more about Odess and Elance in the next couple Ah, uh, you, you know, Bernard, I warned everyone. So I sent an email today and I was like, look, my community is still, this, this list is still a very objective list. And sometimes I'm snarky because I think some of these events are shit. And I'm putting it here kind of like to poke fun at people actually selling, selling something. Sometimes I'm a little snarky, like who the hell wants to attend a Salesforce lecture on their new, um, CRM solution. Like to me, that couldn't be more boring, but I put it there and I make a joke because there are people in my community that think it's important. And hopefully they understand that I'm just poking a little bit of fun, but I wanted people to know that I'm going to continue this. This is Christine who's supporting this and I have another job now and I'm going to be doing things within this community, but it's not going to impact you know, I want to just to be transparent. It's not going to impact my views. And say if a competitor comes into the market, I'm not going to blackball them. I would, of course, I would list their events, and maybe I would say something a little off color about it. But that's my right as the the person putting together this this email. And I totally trust you on that. I am oh, sure with all you. the work that you have done for the the ecosystem in Singapore, I I am pretty sure because I think you. Well, Bernard, you're old school. You know what? You're really old school. You've yeah, seen it. You've seen it for a lot. You've been here a lot. Clearly, you're born here. But you've seen it a lot longer than I have. So I would be interested to hear how you think it's changed. I think it's changed. We have what you call the first, second, and third generation. I came from what they call the lost generation. Oh, no. So the lost generation, in, in a way, in Singapore, is that there was a pre-dot-com boom and bust before that. So what happened was... Um, we are kind of trying to find where we are. And then at the same time, you have the Darius's come in with the, their exits. And then that built up the first layer where they became mm -hmm. angel investors. And mm -hmm. I'm also one of those angel investors. Mm -hmm. And then now there is a second wave where you have the Zopims, the guys who recently got acquired by Zendesk for $35 million, which was the first time we're seeing starting to see Ele well, with, with, Vicky, with Vicky, with a two hundred million acquisition, oh, we're wow. starting to see elephant elephants happening in, yeah. in our community, and I find that um, 
there's a lot more change in terms of some of you and i think and i, I think you rightfully pointed it out how people behave as well the sociology mm. change a lot i can tell you that while i don't go to a lot of events these days i actually spend time at least once a week i will meet people once mm. uh, that means i'll take up two hours of the week to meet people i'm spending time actually with founders who are trying to work out whether they should shut down a company yeah, I, I find it as a social service, right? So I do that because I came from the community. Yes, I'm in the corporate job now, but mm -hmm. I, I find that I can do that. And what is surprising to me, even with my current corporate job, I still engage the startup community. <laughs> so it, doesn't, it didn't really leave me in that sense. I, I'm sure it's going to be the same for you. We work with the community quite a lot. So by just having you talking about the community, also give a flavor of how in Asia we think about communities as well from yeah. that. So I think that that, change, that cultural shift will continue. The, ones, the, the one thing I thought that has not really changed is this zombie company culture, which I'm uh, very upfront and say there are zombie companies around. We just it's very it. strange. Yeah. It, that is a unique... I have never seen anything like that, but I think they're slowly fading away. They're... They've been shot in the head or whatever needs to happen with the zombie companies. They're not getting the they're, they're not getting any more funding. You know, so they've persisted with 250k of funding and they've lasted a few years and they're not getting more funding. And so we'll start to see that die off, I hope. No, it actually dies off. Um it's, it, there's a there's a lot more deaths you see now. I think whether people are actually more upfront about talking about it, mm -hmm. I find that that hasn't that there are there are instances where they do it. I, I mean, my, my failure was very public, so it was quite 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 well known. But I think that's great, and yeah. you wrote about it, and you discussed it. Yeah, but I, I think, think that's what needs people, to happen. I think the success of that is more people talking about it. Mm. Not just this is not about myself, but I think if more people talk about it, I find that it's actually much better because it, it grows the ecosystem as a whole. Mm, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned Nitrous as being a, a real success story, which I agree with, but, and I'm blanking on his name right now. He's amazing. Why can't I remember his name? AJ? Not AJ, his, his co-founder. Arun. Arun. Yes. Arun's company, when I first came here, I reached out to Arun's first company for Walkabout and he said, no, we've closed. We're not, we're not doing it anymore. I don't remember what the company is. Do you remember? I... I can't remember. Um, it was something to do with it's an incubator, but uh, yeah, I don't but remember. Yeah. But I would. But immediately, he didn't fail. He he took. He learned from it. He moved on, and he created a, a successful company that's doing amazingly well. And I think that is kind of the story that we need to 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 put into the ecosystem and to really start discussing that it's not failing. It's it's. Failing and learning and starting again with that information, with that knowledge, and with the community that you've built around you. No investor just wants to see you sit on that money and not build a company. They'd rather you spend it and fail miserably, but learn a lot, and they'll invest in you again. Um, so I think the more we talk about that kind of uh, that that topic, that we'll see things change. These zombies are not forever; they're just for now. Mm. So we are coming almost to the near end of the show. So where do we find you? Oh, I am. I think the easiest way to find me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Chrissy Mo, 
If you want to check out events that are happening in Singapore, you can check out the list.sg. Um, yeah, I think that's the easiest, the two easiest ways to find me. What and do you, you think? Also have walkabout.sg, oh right? yeah, sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> sorry. So I do a yearly event. <laughs> if you're interested in hitting up one of these hundreds of startups, uh, well, hundred of startups that we have. In Singapore, you want to get inside their company and see what they're working on and meet the founders and the dev team and the designers and the marketing people and everything that makes a startup run. Um, you can join me next year at Walkabout 2015, and you can you can go to walkabout.sg. And I believe if you sign up there, you'll be on our mailing list. Have you have you tried to, has anyone asked you to do walkabout.myph? Oh, you know that. You know, of course, <laughs> of course. But one of the things is I am married to the Singapore ecosystem. Like I'm based here. I spend a considerable amount of time meeting with people here and knowing this ecosystem. And I don't have the 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 same ties in Malaysia or in the Philippines. And so really what I think is someone else needs to be driving that initiative. And it's not an easy thing. Let me be honest. It is a, a, a long, it's many, many months to plan something like that, especially the first time getting the idea off the ground. But like my list, so it, that the list.sg, which is just an aggregator of what's going on in the technology scene in Singapore and events that you should attend, there's someone running my list in Malaysia. Her name's Laiz. She's amazing. She has a list. Um, I think I, I think that you can't find it online yet because I haven't set the website up. But she has over 600 people within two months sign up for her mailing wow. list. And then there's another woman, another woman named Christine in the Philippines who's been after me for months to get the list.ph up and running. And if I didn't have so much going on, these initiatives would have a lot more funding and time for me. But yeah, I think there's hunger around the region and it's so exciting to see. So I actually have to subscribe to... So do I ever get a, the list.se? SEA at some point. You know, does that exist? That domain? I don't know. I don't think it exists, but maybe if it the list.asia should it. probably. I think you should get the list.asia. I have tried the list.my. I am not spending thousands and thousands of dollars to buy a domain. So perhaps I need to rebrand or something. I'm not sure. But let me just say the list people who are not the list SG are very greedy and want a lot of money for something that I do for free that I don't make any money from. Okay. I'll let you know if there is there. there Thank are you. Other yeah, look that, that up right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get it, get it. Okay. Well, I, I I'm sure we also can find you in Odes and Elans. Well, yes. I'm sure that activities yes. are happening. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah, this is good to have you here. Oh, and Bernard, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, just before I end, I have to do, unfortunately, the usual spiel. You can find me at <laughs> com at cw or if not, come to analyze with s.asia and we also have at analyze asia and you please drop us feedback. I am really hoping, at least, you know, all the podcasts that I really modeled out there, I'm waiting for people to send me feedback like, you know, you suck or, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. It's good to have that. And then I can actually improve the show. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Christine. Well, thank good you so much, Bernard. And I think you're doing a great job. My feedback would not be you suck. <laughs> well, we will see at least. Let's see, let's see how it goes in a year's time. Awesome. Thank you. Good.